You're listening to the Flying Goat Farm Podcast with your host, Lisa Check. This podcast is for people who love yarn and fiber and sheep, who love to knit and crochet and maybe even felt. We will be talking about the crossroads between keeping sheep and goats, making yarn, and expressing your colorful self. To the Flying Goat Farm Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about using kitchen and food waste to make dyes. But first, here's what's happening on the farm. So um, we're now at the last week of April here, and um, I'm getting ready for the Maryland Sheep and Wool Festival. It's a giant festival, um, and I've been working on getting inventory together for the past couple of months. I have so much yarn. I have so much roving. Um, so I'm feeling really good about that. Now the hard work begins with packing it up, making sure I have everything that I need for the booth and all that kind of stuff. So um, this is fun to do this kind of respite today um, instead of thinking about the festival. For those of you who may not be local, the Maryland Sheep and Wool Festival, it's the 50th year this year, and it was the first fiber festival in our nation, and they say it's the biggest one. I don't know. I, I kind of think it's it's on par with Rhinebeck, so I'm not sure how you compare the two, um, but it's really, really fun. The weather's supposed to be great this year, so it's all good. So here's kind of a recap of where we've been. This season is all about using natural dyes and the reason to do it, um, how to prepare the different dyes. Um, and each episode I do a highlight. And so I've talked about um, Osage Orange. I've talked about Cochineal. And I've talked about Black Walnut so far. And each episode I also talk about farm yarns. So I've talked about our Cormo Yarn Lively, I've talked about our BFL Yarn Fingal, and I've talked about our Mohair Yarn Yearling Mohair. So this is really exciting. We've talked about foraging dyes and growing dyes and then also purchasing dyes from dye houses. Um, and so today we're going to talk about kitchen dyes and food waste dyes. There's lots of things in the kitchen that give color. We know because you spill something on yourself and it stains your clothes, right? Um, so some of the things that um, are good to dye with, produce color, are black beans, hibiscus tea, green, any kind of green veggies or herbs, anything that's like a, a tender green is going to give you some dye. Um, artichokes, if you've ever cooked an artichoke, you will see that the water turns kind of a purpley green. Um, your tea, your coffee, um, using spent, um, spent grounds or, um, or the spent leaves of tea or, or, and coffee. And then some of your red things like beets and cabbage and berries. So it's th using things that are already in your kitchen is kind of a good first way to get into natural dyeing. It's, you know, you're using something that you have in your kitchen. Oh, you know what? I forgot to put on that list. Turmeric, the, the spice turmeric. Um, so it's an easy first way to get into natural dyeing. But the thing that you have to realize is 
many of these dyes are not light fast. They're not wash fast. They are going to fade or change in color. But some of the fun things you can do with them is you can use them for bundle dyeing and, and printing. Um, and they can be very fun for those kind of, of items. So the colors don't last over time. That's okay. Change your expectations. And because it's a food source, it's not dangerous to use with your children. Um, it's a, a fun kind of thing to do. And like I said, it's pretty easy to use this as a first step for getting into natural dyeing. Then as far as food waste dyes, that would be like your avocado skins and pits or your uh, pomegranate skins or your onion skins. Now these dyes are more light and, and wash fast because they do have tannins in them. Um, and tannins tend to be able to bind to the fiber. And so these colors will last longer than the regular um, kitchen dyes. Um, still, to get your best results for fiber or for yarn is to mordant it. Um, it just gives you an extra um, insurance that your, the dyes will attach to your fabric or your yarn. So sourcing these dyes, like we've talked about before, you're going to need a lot. Um, usually we're, you're thinking about a one-to-one -one ratio. So if you are going to do a pound of fabric or yarn, then you need a pound of these dyes. That's a lot. Um, and, but you can start saving these at home. Um, you can dry them just, or you can freeze them. Um, and and build up your kind of build up your stash um, of, of whether they're dried or frozen. You can ask your friends to also save their onion skins or their avocados um, for you. And you know, or if you are in a, a place where it eats a lot of pomegranates, that too. Or in California, pomegranate. There's lots of pomegranates in backyards. So, you know, check around um, in your neighborhood to see if anybody has a pomegranate tree. Um, I will tell you, this is, this is an aside, um, pomegranate um, seeds make great jelly. So if you have some, a friend that has a pomegranate tree and they're like, I don't know what to, to do with these, you know, you can put the, the seeds in salads and things like that, but then you might get, you know, how much more can you do? You can make a ma uh, an amazing jelly with pomegranates, just saying. Um, you can ask your grocery store if they have the extra onion skins. I know I was talking to somebody, oh, one of my friends who's a weaver and also does some dyeing, and she just kind of surreptitiously in the grocery store, she would just kind of scoop up those onion skins, you know, that are on the bottom of the place where they have the onions, bottom of the bin, and just put, kind of put them in an extra bag and like walked out with them. But so you can do that, or you can ask the store manager, hey, can I have... Uh, you know, those, those extra onion skins, because they're, t they're probably taking them off in the back room of the grocery store as well. You could talk to restaurants in your area about getting their avocado pits and their avocado skins. Um, and if you do any of these, make it easy for your friends or the grocery store or the restaurant, take a container, pick it up frequently so that um, they know that you really are interested and it's not just hanging around in their place of business. Um, go every couple days to pick it up, that kind of thing.
And you're doing a service because things that would be going into the landfill now are going to be going into making dyes. And when you're done with them, you can put this into your compost pile. So it's all, you know, taking things out of landfills, out of trash, and using them and, and disposing of them in a way that is earth-friendly. So the, the basic procedures for these kind of dyes is the same as what we've talked about. You're going to kind of make a tea from the dye stuff. So you could call it a dye stock, basically. Um, so you're going to use enough water to cover the plants or the skins. Um, and you're going to um, heat it to about, you want it below 180. You want it hot but you don't want to boil it. You don't even want to simmer it. You want a gentle heat. Sometimes, especially with um, avocados, um, if you are heating it too high, it actually would change the color from the beautiful pink that we want to kind of a brown color. So do make it gentle. Um, and then you constrain, and I usually cook it for about an hour, let it cool off with all the stuff in it. Then you're going to strain off that liquid and then you can do it again. So typically you can make at least two extractions, maybe three extractions. So doing the same thing, covering it, heating it up, letting it um, cool down, straining it off. You can do about three of those um, with the dye stuffs until you're not getting any more color. And then that big pot of um, now dye stuff and water is going to be your dye pot. And then you're going to place your wet mordanted yarn or fiber or fabric into the pot and, with that dye liquor, and you're going to heat them together for about an hour. And again, under the boiling point, um, and then let it cool overnight. It's really important to do that cooling overnight. Um, it's, it seems to me that if you take the yarns out early, you're not going to get um, as rich of a color. And then you're going to rinse that out and you're going to dry your yarn or fabric or whatever. If you want a darker color, you just dye it again. So um, until, you know, you, you get achieve the color that you're looking for. And then also remember that each time that you dye, you know, you've used some of the, um, the dye that's in there. So each time it's going to be a little bit, it's going to be exhausted and exhaust dye. So it's going to have less total dye in there. Um, but if, for instance, you wanted a darker color and you didn't have any more color left in the dye pot, you could redo the whole procedure again, start with, you know, new, fresh avocado skins or onion skins and start all over again and then re-dye in that original um, extraction again. Just some thoughts. So as I talked before, I think we need to be changing the expectations of our textiles. Um, when we're using natural dyes and wearing clothing that's been naturally dyed, they are going to change over time. But that even happens with your commercially dyed clothing. Um, it changes in the sun. Sometimes you can see this in a sunny closet that the um, material that's up on the top of the hanger is like bleached out a little bit if it hasn't been worn for a long time. It's been sitting there for a long time. Unfortunately, we don't see those kind of changes happen um, with the commercial clothing because typically we're wearing it for one season or less and then um, 
getting it out of our wardrobe. Um, however, you know, giving it away, putting it in the trash, um, and we're not seeing those things happen. But if you're talking about, you know, buying a buying or making a wardrobe that is naturally dyed and naturally uh, natural fibers, you're going to keep that longer. They do cost more. Um, ho hopefully, you value the, that clothing more. You're going to keep it more. Um, so you're gonna you're gonna see more changes. So, and I know I've talked about this in the previous season a little bit. Um, you just we need to be taking care of our clothes. So first of all, you're going to keep it out of the sunlight. In if you have a sunny closet, I know I have a window in my closet, um, so I know that I have to be careful about what I put where there and it where the sun is going to come in. And it's also like west uh, sun, so it's a really hot, intense sun. So I have to be careful about what I put in my closet where. And then you're going to wash gently. You can wash by hand. You can put. You can wash it on the gentle cycle. And you're only going to wash when it's absolutely necessary. A lot of times, I think we also um, we also wash our clothes too frequently. Um, and again, if you are, you know, you wear it, you t um, take it off, put it on a hanger, let it kind of air out. You probably don't need to to wash it every single time that you wear it. And then, of course, I think we need to change our mindset. The colors will change. That's the beauty of natural dyes. And the, ch the colors that they change to are still beautiful. Um, they still have that rich, dusky feeling to them. Um, and they're just, they just are different. Um, if it gets to the point where it's like, oh, I didn't really want a brown dress, or whatever color it has become, um, you can always re-dye your clothing. So you can, you know, make a dye pot with a different color and bring your um, your pants or your or your blouse or your vest or whatever back to life with a different color. So changing our expectations about textiles is a big part of being mindful about the resources that we're using um, in in our fashion world. So here's our dye highlights for today. Um, and why not talk? I'm going to talk about avocados because um, right now, like this dye has become so popular. It's all over the place. It makes a beautiful, lovely, dusky pink color. And did you know when I was doing research for this, Americans eat about eight pounds of avocados per year. Um, and it's mostly, those are mostly imported by Mexico, although California grows a lot of avocados um, and maybe Florida does too. I'm not sure about that. But I know uh, when I lived in um, the Hollywood Hills, I had five avocado trees, gigantic avocado trees. Um, now I wish I still had those gigantic avocado trees because I would be dying with them. It wasn't a thing when I was living in LA. Now it's a thing. Um, you do need to collect a lot of skins and pits to get a deep color. We already talked about how you could do that with asking your friends or asking a local restaurant um, to save those for you. You do need to clean the skin and the pits of all the little avocado bits. It's kind of gross, um, but you have to do it. Otherwise, the, you know how the avocado turns brown when it's oxidized. And if you are leaving those brown bits in, it's going to affect the color of what you get in the dye. 
So use a veggie brush or a nail brush, something like that, to get all the little pieces of avocado out of there. And then you can do one or two things. You can dry them just by laying them out. Um, the, the, the skins dry really pretty quickly. Um, or you can freeze them until you have enough to make a dye pat bath. Um, why would you choose one over the other? Um, I think drying the skins is fine. Um, what my research has told me is that um, it's easier to extract the dye out of the pit if it has been frozen rather than dried. Um, because when it's dried, um, then a lot of the oxidation process has already happened inside of the seed. So, um, you know, freeze the pits, dry the skins, um, and you can have until you have enough to make a dye bath. And again, you're going to extract several times to get a good dark tea color. About after two or three of those extracts, those pits will start to fall apart. And you want to encourage this because you have more surface area, more dye will come out. So you know, encourage, you can smash them, um, that kind of thing. Be sure that you you know strain out all those bits before you put in your material um, you, you know, with a, a, a nice sieve or um, cheese, cheesecloth or something like that. This dye is pH sensitive. So it is important um, what kind of water you have. If your water is more um, acid, then maybe your dye is going to look more brown than pink. So what's suggested is to add a little bit of baking soda or washing soda or soda ash. Put a little bit like a teaspoon at a time until you get back to the pink color that you want. Um, and then put your um, then put your fiber fabric yarn into um, go ahead and dye. Again, this is also heat sensitive, so be sure that you're, it's not boiling, it's not simmering, it's below 180, you know, like 150, 170, something like that. So it's hot. You don't want to put your hand in there, but you're not. It's not boiling, so the dye isn't breaking down and becoming the brown color rather than the pink. So it's really a fun dye. I hope some of you guys try it. Um, it's, it's, um, it, the color is just lovely. And so here's my farm yarn highlight of the, of the day or the episode. And that is my polypay yarn. Um, these are the yarns that I am using um, to do my natural dyeing with. And right now I have um, two different weights of this yarn. I've got a worsted weight and I have a DK, uh, the sport weight. Um, and the sport weight actually is making some pretty nice material for socks. I'm using a size one needle. So it's kind of, um, it's, an, it's an interesting yarn to use. So these sheep, these polypay sheep are raised in Virginia and I got the wool from our shearer, Emily. Um, a lot of people who raise sheep don't want to have the fleeces and so I'm able to um, to purchase yarn from them. Um, so polypay is a breed. Um, they're called that because they do, um, they have a lot of babies. <laughs> Sometimes they can have four or five uh, babies at a time. It's, it's amazing. Um, typically these uh, sheep are being raised for meat, um, but their wool is fantastic. It's it's classified as a medium wool, 
and it has a three to four inch staple length and a medium micron length. So that means that you're not going to wear these next to your skin. You're not going to, you know, make a t-shirt out of these or something like that. Um, but they are durable and they are warm. They're great for outerwear, for hats, sweaters, mittens, socks, like I said. Um, they would be great for um, like um, home textiles, like tea cozies, or if you're a weaver, um, to, to make um, placemats or table runners or something of that sort. Um, so it's a great, really utilitarian yarn. Um, the worsted comes in skeins that are 200 yards per skein. And the sport it takes is about 340 yards per skein. Um, it's, um, like I said, the, this takes the dye really beautifully. Um, and so I look forward to seeing a lot of great um, products. I have not, you know, this is new for me, um, having this yarn uh, all in natural dyes. I've got just about a full spectrum of color. I've got blues, greens, um, lots of yellows and um, neutral colors like browns and grays. I've got purples. I've got pinks and um, lovely coral colors. And I've got variegated yarns um, that will make you know, really fun, stripey kinds of hats or socks. Um, so again, if you are local and if you're coming to uh, Maryland Sheep and Wool, um, then you want to come and check these out. If you are not local, um, then um, after the festival, um, what I have left of these will go up on the website. Um, and again, they're called Polypay. They're called Polypay Wild for the ones that have that are naturally dyed, that use dyes that I did not grow or forage. Um, and then I have another part that's um, the poly, the fiber shed polypay, and those are the yarns that have um, that I've foraged or grown um, the dye stuffs for. So it's local fiber, local labor, and local dyes for a few of those, mostly yellows and browns at this particular stage of the game. Um, and I have, not only do I have the full skeins, but I also have um, mini kits of either four or five um, different colors that will make, again, a great stripey hat. Um, they get a couple of them and make a great um, stripey sweater for a kid. Um, yeah, it really, really a fun yarn. So until next time, Either when I see you in person at a festival, or you come by the shop here, or I see you online. Happy making! Well, that's this episode of the Flying Goat Farm podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review. Have a question you'd like me to answer? Send an email to goatherd at flyinggoatfarm.com. And to see our farm and yarn and roving, check out our website at flyinggoatfarm.com. Follow me at Flying Goat Farm on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm Goat Herd on Ravelry. Until next time, happy making.